Thank you for joining us again for another Bible study that we're going to do on the sayings of Jesus Christ. This time I would like you to take your Bibles and join me in Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7 as we start and look at the last few verses of Matthew chapter 7 starting with verse 24. I was thinking about some the fact that there are some phenomenal speeches in history that people are even today talking about. You have the Gettysburg Address that was given just a few miles from here. When Lincoln came after months after the battle and that he gave as part of that memorial service, and you all know he wasn't the main speaker. It was a different individual who spoke for two hours. And when Lincoln got up after he had prepared his thoughts over the last 48 hours, he spoke for two, two and a half minutes. But it has gone down in history as one of the most famous and one of the most impacting speeches ever. Stories come out about speakers and orders like Winston Churchill, who you've heard that he was a phenomenal speaker. Well, he was coming back to his alma mater one day where he had gone through preparatory school. And all the people were excited at the school that they were going to have the great Winston Churchill speak to the student body. And when he got there, they did all kinds of introductions and all kinds of speeches in preparation to his speech. The students were told, make sure you take notes, listen closely, because what he says is going to be something really, really, really important. Well, when it was finally his turn to get up to speak, he got up and he just said, young men, never give up. Never give up. Never, never, never give up. Then he turned and sat back down. It was a short speech, but it has gone down in history as one of his most famous and easily memorized speeches. Jesus Christ spoke in the Sermon on the Mount, which has to be one of, if not the greatest sermon ever preached. And in that sermon, Jesus Christ is talking to a large number of people, a multitude of people, sharing a lot of truth. And as he winds down the truth, he gets to the passage that we're going to look at in verse 24 and following. But I want you to take you to the very end of the text. And it says, it came to pass when he had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine. For he taught them as one having authority and not as scribes. When you think about what that means, the people were in a positive way. They were knocked out of themselves. Literally, that's the idea, that they were struck outside of themselves because of his teachings, that they were amazed. They marveled at what he said. He spoke content that they had never heard before, and he spoke in a manner that was absolutely unusual, different from what they were used to. Their normal teachers, as you've been taught, their normal teachers would get up and quote other people as their authority and uh, use other people's ideas and philosophies and intermix this so as to, you know, name drop amongst uh, their, their audience and try to add to their own credibility. Well, Jesus didn't do that. Jesus kept on saying, basically, this is what the Father said. This is what you have heard. And then he would say, but I say unto you, as one speaking with authority. And so Jesus has given this phenomenal message, this challenge to the audience. And it has been one that has caught their attention. It has been one that has caused them to marvel afterwards, to talk about, to be amazed by his comments But here is a sad fact. The fact is, many in the audience, it didn't really make a life-changing difference. It didn't stick with them. They enjoyed his presentation. They enjoyed the way he presented it. But it didn't make a difference in how they lived. And that is a sad fact. 
That is a truism that great preaching alone doesn't always make a difference. That's hard for me to say. That's difficult because in my mindset, it's like we've got to be able to preach a message. And if we preach a powerful message, surely it's going to make a difference. And I'm not saying this. Let me just make sure I clarify. I'm not saying that we shouldn't get under good preaching. I'm not saying that we who preach shouldn't strive to do our very best. Oh, no. The Bible tells us time and time again that we who are called to preach the gospel, we are supposed to be ready instant in season, out of season. We are to include in our preaching, reproving, rebuking, exhorting. We're to give out the Word of God with clarity because there's going to come a time when people don't want to hear the truth, which seems to be in these days. And so he's challenged preachers in other passages that when you preach, make sure you do it with the best of your ability. Paul even gives this demonstration where he says, my message, my preaching, we're not in persuasive words of wisdom that he could come up with, but in a demonstration of reliance upon the Spirit and in power so that it would have impact. He makes that same comment again where he writes and says, I didn't come to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And that was my burden, not with words of wisdom, but rather I'm going to just preach the simple truth of the cross of Jesus Christ. We have the exhortation that we're supposed to study to show ourselves approved unto God. The word literally means be very diligent about. Give yourself totally the best that you can when it comes to presenting yourself before God, rightly dividing the truth. And so... This is a fact that we're supposed to do our very best. We're supposed to train, and some of us have. It took some of us weren't gifted enough that we could just go into the Word and start preaching it, but we had to spend years and years in study and in training to get the background, to understand more, and even to hone the skill of public speaking, which we still have to hone time and time again. And I'm thankful that we've had those opportunities to train. And I'm thankful that we have the privilege to be able to give out the Word of God. And I'm so grateful that God has given me the opportunity to be a shepherd of other people's souls. That He has entrusted that care. And I want to be able to do my very best and to work at it and spend time so that when we open up the Word of God, we're feeding you something that is helpful to your soul. But... This I have to admit and come back to and say, the person primarily responsible for your spiritual growth is you. You're the one that you could sit under good preaching, you could sit under Jesus' preaching, which people did, and depending upon how they responded, were they the good soil that took it in and produced fruit? Or were they going to be the type of soil that would easily be distracted and all of a sudden get caught up with the cares of this world and the Word of God had no effect because it is up to the individual? Great preaching in and of itself doesn't make somebody become spiritual. Listening to great preachers doesn't make somebody spiritual. The individual has to apply the Word of God to their own lives. They have to take what they have learned and they have to live it. And that's the challenge that Jesus wraps up his entire message with via a parable. He tells them the story of the wise man and the foolish man. And in that parable, he is highlighting the idea that you need to take the word of God and act upon it. You need to do something with it or it does you no good. The parable, as you know, is very simple. 
And if we're going to dissect the parable, well, let me read it. Then let's, let's dissect it. He wraps up by saying in Matthew 7, these words, verse 24, Therefore, whosoever hears these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and they beat upon that house. It fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that hears these sayings of mine and does them not it shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house. And it fell, and great was the fall of it. What's he mean by that? Well, let, let's talk about it. Looking at the houses, here's what we seem to understand. There isn't anything really unusual or different about the one house compared to the other. They appear what Jesus would be just pointing to the common type of a house. They're very similar. They're the, the idea here is simply that they stand for the lives, the houses they built, stand for the lives that the people are building. That's not unusual. We find in other passages of Scripture, like in 1 Corinthians 3, that there's the idea of building your life, building your house, involving your labors, your work, your relationships, involving what you do for a job, what you, how you conduct yourselves in your family. In fact, in 1 Corinthians, we find out that what you build is going to one day be examined by the Lord, tried by fire, and he talks about, now if any man builds upon the foundation of Christ with gold, silver, precious stones, or wood, hay, stubble, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, he says. And he goes on, because it will be revealed by fire, tested by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. And so that idea that Jesus uses here, and Paul uses later, is the idea of what are you building your life upon? Your life, your activities, your relationships, your work ethics, the, uh, the way you handle trials and troubles and all kinds of uh, interactions you have with people, including raising your families. So you look and you say, okay, these people, on the outside, they look the same. The wise man and the foolish man. It's like a crowd that comes to church on the outside, they all look the same. They're all building, they're active and doing those things. But the difference is looking under the house. In this case, he's talking about the foundation makes all the difference if their house stands or not. The story is talking about that idea, foundational idea. Is it Christ? Well, we know that 1 Corinthians, he says there is no other foundation. So we know that at times when he talks about foundation, he's talking about building your life on Christ. Now in this text, Jesus expands upon that and says that the foundation is basically listening to his words. Hearing these things of mine and then doing them. And so he's talking about the sayings of mine formulate your foundation. And so the individuals, what are they doing? How are they building upon the teachings of Jesus Christ? The good message that they heard, what will they do with it? Will they act upon it in a way of how they do their house, their home, their family, their business? And so Jesus Christ is saying that here, you look and they look the same on the outside, but look underneath. How are they, how are they acting day by day according to my sayings? 
And as you look at the householders, there's nothing within them that makes them extraordinary. He never talks about either one of them having greater skill and engineering ability than the other. They seem to be very similar type of individuals that have the same type of skill set. As as the story is compared and brought out, they both had opportunity to hear the Word of God. In fact, they both hear it. It makes it very clear. The difference is... One acts upon what he hears. One does the message that Jesus was preaching. One lives according to what he has learned from the Word of God. And that's the big difference. That's why he is basically wrapping up and saying, that's what you and I need to do. We need to live what we learn from the preaching, the teaching of God's Word, the reading of God's Word. And in this text, let me just show you two reasons why you should do that. Why you should this week... Make it a practice to say, I will do something that I have learned from the Word of God. I will do something that I have heard from the Word of God. I will purposely work at some area of of application of the Word of God, following a command, following a truth, following a principle. There's two reasons why, according to this text, you should do that. The first reason is very simple, because it's profitable. It is profitable to follow, to live out, to obey the Word of God. In this text, he tells us the prophet comes by being honored by the Lord. Well, that's very clear. That's that's very, very pointed in the text. He's making comment that one person is wise, one person is foolish. One is going to be commended by the Lord. The other is basically going to be criticized by the Lord. And we understand what these words simply mean. The wise person is thoughtful, foolish, a commendable trait and characteristic. The foolish person, they're ignorant of life. They're dull. Not in the idea of boring, but they don't think through. They lack discernment. They don't have foresight. They're living for today and only for today. And it's all about the circumstances dictate how they act, how they respond. And so instead of following principles of the Word of God, they're very foolish. And they don't get the commendation by Christ. Now, time and time again, we would read in the Old Testament and New comments about how those who are wise are so blessed in comparison to the foolish. We could jump back into the book of Proverbs and just use that alone and read multiple verses about how the wise person is blessed of God, the king's favors toward the wise servant, but his wrath is against the fool who basically causes shame. We read elsewhere in Proverbs, a wise servant will rule over a son who causes shame and will share an inheritance among the brothers. The idea is that the wise child in a home will succeed beyond foolish siblings. We read in the passage that a wise man is able to conquer a lot of those difficult situations in life or in war where it says a wise man scales the city of the mighty and brings down the trusted, the the strongholds that seem impenetrable. We could read elsewhere that a wise man is strong. He increases his strength through knowledge. So Jesus Christ is saying, if you're wise, you have these benefits. To be able to rise above the crowd, to be able to be an individual who keeps on increasing in knowledge, who is able to overcome the difficulties and the temptations of life, even tearing down the strongholds of enemies, including our spiritual enemies. So commendation comes to the individual who is going to work upon, build upon, follow the word of God. But there is another benefit another prophet. They're able to handle anything that comes along. 
That's the gist of this parable. The person who follows the Word of God, who listens to the teachings of Jesus Christ, they are going to end up facing trials. In fact, both men will. Both builders, all builders, let's say. All of us who here when we gather, we look alike. The difference is we're all going to be facing difficulties and trials, but only some will be those individuals who are able to endure, to stand fast. Those who are following, building, living according to the teachings of Jesus Christ. You see, he talks about these trials and these storms that come upon them. I understand in this text that what he's talking about is the normal rigors of life, the difficulties, the trials, the the sudden crises, the challenges that could come from people, problems, or other situations in life. And he makes makes it clear that these are universal. Every one of us will face difficulties. These are often inevitable. They're going to come. They're going to be just like the normal seasonal storms that would come on a regular basis that Jesus is looking around and saying, a house built here, a house built there. All of a sudden you're going to get your early and latter rains and you're going to have the floods coming down from the mountains. And as they come down, they're going to build up steam as the rivers rise. They're inevitable. They come to all of us. He makes a comment that they can be very severe. He talks in both of these stories about how the floods come and then the winds blow and then they beat upon the house. It happens to both. Both builders' homes that they've built. In fact, he makes the comment that we'll just reference a little bit later. There's only one little difference. The little difference is the word for beating upon the house. The the harsher, the stronger beating takes place uh, at the house that's built on the rock The other one built upon the sand, it never gets to that level because it collapses beforehand. So a more subtle, simpler, less harsh beating collapses that house earlier. His point is we all face difficulties. But the ones who are able to stand fast are those who have built their life upon the teachings of Jesus Christ. They build their life upon the teachings before the trials come in. They make it a habit in their life, a part of their everyday response, how they're going to act towards other people. And that doesn't change then when the trials come. They're going to make it a part of their life, how they're going to work in their home and in their family and train their kids and to to have a relationship with their spouse. Then when trials come, They're able to endure because they've laid a solid foundation. There are individuals who are financially following the teachings of Jesus Christ with integrity and honesty and with charity. And when the trials come and the difficulties arise, there's no big change because they've made this their foundation, their character, their habit, their lifestyle. And so he's advocating for these individuals by saying, listen, it is profitable for you. You will be a wise person, a discerning person. You will be commended by me. You will also be the individual who can endure difficult moments if you are consistently building your life upon the teachings of Jesus Christ. Again, not just hearing it, not just listening to good preachers and and famous preachers, but living the preaching of the Word of God. There is, as we go through the text, another thought to keep in mind, and that is this benefit, that, oh, I know what I wanted to mention here, excuse me, the importance of you following the Word of God, how it will give you that stability. 
that David in his own life, David had been an individual who was hunted, who was forgotten by his family, who at one time is deserted and turned upon by all of his mighty men when they're disappointed in him. What kept him going? What helped him? Well, he had for years been making this a practice in his life, working, living, building upon, obeying the word of God, not to the point of perfection, but to the point of persistence following the Lord, listening to his teachings, trying to incorporate them in his everyday life. And when the trials got worse and worse in his life, David's able to say, my soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. It was the word of God that made a difference in his life. He talks about that, high, that idea elsewhere where he writes, he says, this is my comfort in my affliction, that promise that you gave. He talks about how the word of God kept him stable and strong that he said, your law was my delight, and otherwise I would have perished in the affliction. David makes it clear, he says, that they who cry to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivers them, and he sends his word to heal them, to strengthen them. He's not the only one. We have the Apostle Paul, who he talks in Second Corinthians chapter 11, and it goes into chapter 12, where he's talking about all the distresses, the trials, the problems, the difficulties of life, the cares of the church, the, the pressures from the persecutors. And then he talks about the problem of even having an affliction, a thorn in the flesh that it caused him great distress. And he says, what keeps me going through all this? And he makes the comment, he said, God, you told me, these words, and he quotes the words, my grace is sufficient for you, and my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, he responds, therefore, he says, because of what you said, I will glory in mine infirmities. I will rejoice. I will have the right attitude. I will be able to be strong and steady. Why? Because I am following, listening to, obeying, I am building upon your word. God's word gives us stability to handle any situation. So God's words makes it very clear in this story that you and I, the problems we face, they're going to bring out the reality, the depth, the character, the strength of our faith. They're going to show the daily problems. What do we really rely upon? When all of a sudden we are individuals living in the 2020s where we're relying upon the government to take care of us and when the government all of a sudden starts teetering, tottering, man, that, that'll show what you rely upon. If all those trials, when the difficulties in the government, then all of a sudden your faith is going to be rocked. But if you're relying upon the word of God, you can stay strong, stand true. If you're relying upon your own abilities, all of a sudden when health comes, uh, a challenge to your health comes, and your health is, is all of a sudden suspect, well, you're going to teeter and totter and probably fall down. What are you relying upon? Your bank account? When all of a sudden it's depleted, you'll collapse. You and I are supposed to be relying upon Jesus Christ. And failure to practice obedience under normal situations is going to result in a total collapse when difficulties come. How did, I, how did Jeremiah talk about it? He talks about if you can't run with the footmen, what are you going to do when the horses come? You and I are individuals that are supposed to daily obey the word of God, build our life upon it, so that when it gets tougher, when it gets stronger, we have that basis, that foundation that gives us stability. I'm thinking of that, this, this idea is very clear in the difference between the beatings upon the two homes. For those not living what they learn, it won't take much for you to collapse. You get the lesser of the storm beating upon your house. 
and the great is the fall. Oh, you may come, and on the outside, you look like you're doing everything that everybody else does. On the outside, you're hearing the word of God. But when you go home, and the foundation of how you live, are you living what you learned? If not, it's not going to take much to cause a tumble, to cause a collapse, to cause your faith to all of a sudden falter. You and I are to be individuals living the Word of God day by day, to building upon the Word of God, living the Word of God so that we have that strength, that stamina. So follow the Word of God in good times as well as in difficult times. The benefit? You're going to have stability. The Word of God will give you that stability. And so God blesses very clearly. God commands those who are living according to His Word. I can't think of a better example than who we talked about just weeks ago as our last panel discussion. Joseph, his life was built upon the Word of God. He shared the Word of God. He responds according to the Word of God. He forgives according to the Word of God. He is concerned about others according to the Word of God. Living out the Word of God day by day by day. And as a result, he was able to stand firm. Even when he faced temptation, I cannot sin against my God. He's an individual that even when he was discouraged in the prisons and he was uh, forgotten, he is still serving others according to the word of God. And he's elevated once again. Time and again, this individual is pointed out as being wise. Where did he get that wisdom? Following the truths of God's word that he had. Living according to the word of God. Implementing it day by day. Do you do that? Do you follow the word of God at work? Do you practice it the way you treat your family members? Do you follow the word of God when some frustration comes while you're out shopping and things aren't working? Do you count it all joy? Or do you fall down in your faith and collapse and lose your cool? Well, you have examples in Scripture. You have statements in Scripture. You have the teaching of Jesus Christ that is saying, Hey, listen, make sure you follow the word of God. Now, you say you do that. Well, then let's do a little bit of a test. Let's, let's examine some of the exact teachings of Jesus and just grade ourselves. If we were to take the teachings of Jesus and say, yeah, 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 I follow them. Well, what about this one? What about the teaching that's given in chapter 5? Where Jesus Christ in verses 21 through 26 talks about that if you have animosity towards a brethren, towards somebody in the faith, you're supposed to settle that immediately. And you're supposed to, before you even bring your gift, be reconciled. Leave the gift. Go and be reconciled in verse 24. Before you come and give the gift. Agree with your adversary quickly while you are in the way. Settle differences. Do you do that? Do you follow the word of God when it comes to settling differences? Do you follow the word of God when it talks about investing in the future, where he talks about lay not up for yourselves treasures here upon earth where the moth and the rust they corrupt. For where your treasure is, there is your heart. But lay up treasure in heaven. Do you do that? Do you follow the word of God when it comes to praying and fasting? Where he talks about when you pray, pray in this fashion. Not as the heathen or the hypocrite prays, but rather without vain repetition, pray with reverence. Pray with regularity. Pray with some requests that are, thy will be done. Do you pray with, with the idea of forgiveness flowing from you? He, we, we could ask ourselves this question. Do you have family loyalties? In chapter 5, in verse 31, he talks about the idea of not putting away wife, not seeking 
the divorce and how that was so challenging, but rather you work at the relationship. And you work at making it a better relationship, not just in an endurance trial. Do you follow the Word of God when it comes to honesty and integrity? Chapter 5. He says that idea of let your yea be yea and your nay be nay and that the idea that you're not supposed to be making promises with, with your fingers crossed but rather speak the truth. Be one who is honest and reliable and dependable. Do you follow that in your everyday life? When it talks about the word of God about having self-control over your anger, over your temper, over your natural desires. He talks about several times where he says, if your right hand offends you because you look upon somebody that you're not supposed to look upon, that's not your spouse, then he says, take some drastic measure. Cut off that eye, that, that hand, or pluck out that eye. The, the simple idea is follow the word of God and take some drastic measure to put that temptation out of your life. Do you do that? Do you do that when the Word of God challenges us that we're supposed to not take revenge? We're not supposed to go an eye for an eye. Do you you follow that passage? Do you follow the passage that you treat others the way you want to be treated? Do you make it a practice in your life not to worry, not to fret, because sufficient of the day is the evil thereof? Do you make it a practice in your everyday life that you don't judge people quickly or falsely? According to Matthew 7. Those are some of the examples of your everyday life. Do you live according to them? Or do you just hear them? Amen. It's good. Wonderful message, preacher. But it makes no difference. Live out the Word of God. If you do, it's profitable. It will give you stability. It's profitable. You'll be commended. You'll be able to be an individual that the Lord will bless. Let me give you a third prophet. The third prophet is you'll be able to stand at judgment day. That's the context. The context is he's winding down. He's talking about how it is so important that you make the right decisions. He talks about in the, earlier in the passage, enter in at the straight gate. Wide is the gate, broad is the way that leads to destruction. Because straight is the gate and narrow the way that leads unto life. And he's saying you have a choice for eternal life. Following the crowd, which could include the next few verses, the false teachers. Or doing that which is the, the more restrictive. Following the word of God. Living according to the word of God with the practices of family and holiness and honesty. And, and not about me first, but God first. The practice that is hard to do, but very, very important to be done. And he talks about how then, you know, you can stand before me and you, can, you will be able to be one of those that has the privilege of eternal life. But there will be some who will all of a sudden stand there and they'll say, Lord, Lord, did we not? Da, 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 da. And he'll say, depart from me, workers of iniquity. I never knew you. You'll be able to stand before him if you are basing your life upon the teachings of Jesus Christ, not a false teacher, not your own ideas, but living according to his word. So there's benefit, there's profit, following the word of God. There was an individual that Mark Twain was talking to, a fellow business, a fellow uh, friend, I should say, who was a businessman who was known for being a really, um, really uh, bully type of a businessman. He would get upset. He would not consider other people. He was all about making the big bucks. But he lived a life of guilt. He lived a life of, of regret. Even though he was successful, 
And he was talking to Twain one day and he's talking about for all the business dealings that he did and he knew that some of them were not the best, but he was going to make up for it. He was going to take a trip to the Holy Lands. And once he gets to the Holy Lands, he's going to even do pilgrimage to different sites. And one of them that he wanted to make a pilgrimage to was to Mount Sinai where he'd hoped to go there and read out loud the Ten Commandments to give verbal assent to the teachings of God's Word. And Twain looked at him and responded and basically said, you know, here's what would be a better thing to do. I have a better idea. Why don't you just stay home in Boston and keep them instead? I appreciate the pointedness that Samuel Clemens had towards his friend. It's not what you say outwardly. It's what you do, how you live, that really shows what are you basing your life upon. What is most important? You and I who are saying, I want to live according to the Word of God, Remember, it'll be profitable if you do. You'll be commended. You'll be able to withstand anything. And for sure, you'll be able to stand at the judgment day. But let's do this other one. This other reason why you should work at living out the word of God. Being honest. Working at not judging. Taking, taking the temptations and resisting them. Being an individual who reconciles quickly and forgives others. Being one who gets their temper under control, gets their desires under control. Why do all that? Because it's possible. According to this, this text, it is possible for you to live that way. Not just profitable, but possible. It's possible to do so. He says, whosoever hears these sayings of mine and does them. It, the whosoever makes it very clear, it's possible for any one of us. You, me, Young, old, male, female, rich, poor. Any one of us can live out the words of Jesus Christ. It's possible if we're willing to put in the effort to hear, to understand, to know what does God say, and then to do it over and over and over again. To build, that is, implementing the teachings of Jesus Christ. It's possible, but it requires effort. It, I, we know that. We know that Jesus Christ has made it very clear that we need to take up our cross, that we need to follow him and deny ourselves. And so you and I can, if we build properly, we can follow the word of God. It's going to be harder. It's harder to implement the word of God, build upon rock than it is upon sand. That, that, the sand would be the easy route. Building upon the rock would take more effort to make sure that, that we have it cleared off, to make sure that it is, it is a level area. And so we know it's always harder to implement the teachings of Christ, but it is more beneficial and it is possible. It is possible when we look at it that you and I would, would be able to achieve obedience in our lives as we keep on working, as we rely upon the rock. You can do it. It takes effort, but you must rely upon the rock. What I mean by that is this. You must look at the teachings of Jesus Christ and say, I may not fully understand. I may not fully, fully see how, how this is going to work out, but I'm going to trust the rock. I'm going to trust what he says. I'm going to go to that individual. I'm going to seek to reconcile. I'm going to forgive that individual very hard very hard to do. And, and maybe, maybe they're, they're not going to respond the way I hope, or maybe they might t try to take advantage of me again, but I'm going to follow the teachings of Christ. 
I'm going to forgive seven times 70. I'm, I'm going to make the effort of, of putting out of my life some of those things that are dangerous and, and really influential for the wrong reasons. I'm going to take drastic measures. I'm not sure how it's going to work out in the end, but I'm going to follow and rely upon the rock. I'm going to implement it. The success of this, this building, of these two people, especially the one, the wise man, it was not dependent upon their skills. It was dependent upon their obedience. The obedience to the word of God, which is going to provide the stability. As David, we saw, he said the word of God made the difference. You and I can do this. We can follow the word of God. What we need to do is simply obey the teachings of Jesus. As a parent, to train up the children, you're not sure how that discipline will work out. Follow the word of God. As a husband, a wife, work on that marriage. I'm not sure how this submission one to another. I'm not sure how this loving, you know, kindness. I'm not sure how this revering and respecting is all going to work out. But you follow the teachings and rely upon them and watch God build and give you stability in that relationship. You're not sure how it's going to work out financially. But you read in the word of God that you're to give. Give to the Lord's work, your first and, and, and um, initial gift. That you're supposed to do it on a regular basis. And I'm not sure I'm going to be able to keep up with paying all the bills. But I'm going to build upon the rock. I'm going to follow what he says. I'm not sure how this works out. If, I'm, if I go to somebody and confront them about, a, about something they have done that's so offensive. Or something that I think is dangerous in their life spiritually. And I'm going to go to them. And I'm not sure if they're going to listen. But I'm going to do what God says. And I'm going to trust him for the results. And I'm going to move forward simply by doing what God tells me to do. I'm not sure how this works out when it comes to sharing the gospel with some co-worker. I'm not, I don't know if they'll get saved. I don't know if my relative will ever talk to me again, but I'm going to obey the word of God. I'm going to build my life this day on sharing the gospel with that co-worker, that friend, sending them an, a text, giving them an email of, of the gospel truth. And by obedience, I will trust the rock the teachings of Christ, that it'll make stability in my life and be profitable in their life. Following the word of God, doing what it says, obeying even in the minutest details. Christian author, writer that's popular in the States, talked about how he had for one evening, he had one of the Apollo astronauts at his house for supper, General Charles Duke. And when they were there, they were talking about the Apollo 16 mission. And Duke was, was sharing how the, the rover, how that operated there on the moon's surface and what they were doing and the different tests. And the preacher asked him this question. He says, while you were there, so many miles away from headquarters and on your own and just a couple of you there at that time, did you take free time to do your own thing? Did you go and explore a little bit different than what you were told to when you had a free moment? And his response, the preacher said, he, he would never forget. He said, basically, we didn't have free moments. Everything was outlined. Everything was detailed. And we were to follow the exact prescribed method of operations. In fact, he said, when we landed on the moon, we were so precise in detail that we had one minute of fuel left when we made that landing. And he said, that's the way the whole operation was. We had to be very exact, listening to headquarters, 
doing what they said. The author, Christian author, responded in his writing and he said, in conclusion of that conversation, he made a statement that I hope I will remember in the days ahead. He said, I got the strong impression there is no room for a rebel in a spacesuit. You know what? In Christianity, in living for Christ, there's no room for rebellion. There's no room to do our own thing. If we do, it'll lead to a fall, a collapse, and great will be the fall. You and I need to live according to the teachings that we hear. We need to do them. It's okay to be under good preaching. We ought to do that. It's okay to listen to good preachers that you like to listen to. But best and most important is do. Do what you have heard. Be a wise person. And this week, why don't you take one lesson, one truth, one command that's been a problem for you and work on implementing that in your life this week. Doing that one thing, speaking graciously, being respectful, curbing your speech, forgiving somebody, giving out the gospel, being obedient to parents, being extra loving to a, a family member, being honest at work, giving to the Lord's work, praying for the missionaries. Take one. Take one of the multiple commands and implement it in your life. Be a wise person. It's profitable and it is possible for you to build upon the Word of God and have stability and commendation. May God bless you as you do it this week. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.